we've been in a uh, series called Paul's Letters to Timothy, uh, and we have one more week left uh, before hanging the greens on the 24th. Um, and so next week we'll close out this series. We've got a little surprise for you on the last Sunday. Uh, but today I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, beginning with verse 10. It'll be up on the screens. You can also follow along or you can click there. Uh, I'll be reading from the NRSV. And uh, so let's read that together. Uh, or listen to me as I read. It says, Now uh, you have observed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and my suffering and the things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, what persecutions I have endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but the wicked people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and from whom the childhood you have known the sacred writings that was able to instruct you for salvation through Christ Jesus. For all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, in 1957, George Beadle and his wife Muriel uh, moved from America to England, uh, where George would serve as the visiting professor at the University of Oxford. Now, upon their arrival to Oxford, they decided to take a walk around the historic campus. And so they were, as they were visiting some of the oldest parts of the university, they walked among uh, buildings that they assumed were ancient ruins, just part of the old campus. Um, but as they were looking at the sites, Muriel spotted uh, a window with curtains. She thought that was rather odd, and so she looked a little bit closely, uh, a little bit closer, and she noticed uh, inside were people milling about and going about their everyday kinds of business. And so she uh, exclaims to her husband, she says, honey, these ruins are inhabited. <laughs> now, we know all of this happened because she went on to write a book about their year in Oxford uh, called These Ruins Are Inhabited. And as I was thinking about this scripture, I really began to focus in on verse 16. All of scripture uh, is inspired. And I want to focus in on that this morning, because I imagine that uh, that's how many of you may feel as you approach the Bible. Uh, that as we walk among the ancient poetry, the historical narrative, the mythical stories, the covenants, and the laws, uh, we are kind of, some of you may feel that we are basically witnesses to the ruins of a world that is long past. Uh, some of you may feel that way, that, that maybe the Bible is at times interesting. Uh, it feels like it lacks a certain relevance to our life here and now. Uh, my hope, though, is that at times, as you read and as we study the Scripture together, uh, there are moments when we might see the curtains <laughs> and declare there is life in these ruins, right? Um, See, I don't know what your relationship to the Bible is. Some of you are probably in a place where you see uh, the beauty of the Scriptures, that the Scriptures themselves are teeming with life. You see beauty in the poetry. You see relevance in the narrative. You see the wisdom that is offered throughout. But I would imagine that in any congregation or in any group of people or any gathering of friends, there's also some, others who are probably still waiting to spot the curtains, <laughs> still probably waiting to see the signs of life among these ancient writings, right? Uh, 
that to you, maybe the scriptures are a little more than a record of, anci- of an ancient world that is far removed from our own, uh, that offers little relevance or little wisdom, little importance to our life. And if I'm totally honest, uh, I would say that certainly I've had days and even seasons where that's exactly where I've been. Uh, where reading the Bible, studying the Bible seems very dry and just like, ugh, what does this have to offer, right? And so we, we kind of have these two approaches. And, and yet, when we look at the Scriptures, we find that Paul uh, begins kind of closing out his second letter um, by saying to Timothy, all of Scripture is inspired. Um, and it's useful for teaching, for admonition, for correction, and for training up in righteousness. Uh, now, um, I want to recognize that there's a certain degree of irony, right? This, sometimes uh, when people are asking for proof that the Bible is uh, relative or God's Word or, in fact, inspired, uh, Christians will often move to this passage of Scripture and say, see, the Bible itself says that it's inspired, that it's God's Word, which in philosophy is known as a circular argument, right? You're, you're proving the validity of the source by pointing to the source, uh, is, which, is something, which for philosophical minds is something like you can't do, right? So, so this morning, I'm not trying to kind of make a philosophical argument about the sort of veracity of Scripture, but rather what I'm trying to say uh, to a, a group that has taken time to come to church on a Sunday morning uh, my goal is to show you the curtains, right? My, my goal is to say that there is life among these ruins. Uh, because Paul's, Paul's unique claim this morning is that, there, that, that, that the scriptures are teeming with life, uh, which is interesting too because remember that for Paul, uh, who himself is writing uh, these letters, which will become what we know as the big bulk of the New Testament, uh, so he's currently writing these. So for him, and in his mind, in his context, the scripture which he himself is referencing is the Jewish scriptures, which we know as the Old Testament. So, so Paul is saying that these Old Testament narratives are teeming with life. Uh, that he doesn't, he's, he's not working from what we know as kind of the finalized canon of Scripture, but rather he's working from the Hebrew Scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament. And he says that there's something about these laws, these stories, these poems, which contain the very breath of God and are inspired. Okay? So he's making a pretty unique claim about the Scriptures. But before we discover what Paul was actually talking about and what Paul meant... I think it's important when it comes to like understanding the Word of God and the Scriptures, I think it's really important that we also take time to understand what Paul didn't mean, right? Maybe clear up some, some misunderstandings about Scripture. And this is some, some ground that we've covered before, uh, but I think it's just so important to kind of return to these ideas so that when we read Scripture, we know what are we, what are we reading, how do we approach it, just kind of generally speaking, okay? So, so let's clear up some misunderstandings about the Scriptures. And, and the first thing is, you know, Paul makes this rather unique claim, this kind of bold claim, all of Scripture is inspired, uh, and so one of the things that we need to know is what is meant by inspired, right? What, what, is this, what does this mean? Uh, well, some have taken this to mean that uh, the scriptures were written by God directly and the, uh, that the biblical authors served simply as God's typewriters, right? That, that when Paul was writing these letters or uh, Moses or others are, are kind of writing the Old Testament narratives, some people see inspired as the biblical authors fell into a trance 
there, grabbed the pen, started writing on the scroll, woke up and were like, whoa, I just wrote the book of Exodus, right? Or I just wrote this letter, okay? And, and this is simply not, this cannot be the case. Uh, overwhelmingly because of the evidence in the text itself, which contains high degrees of the personality of the author, right? That you see uh, the, the differences, the uniquenesses, the personality of the authors coming through, so you know that they're not just serving as God's typewriter, they're not falling into a trance, they are fully themselves as they write and as they record these things, which will later become and become canonized. So this is not God, so by inspiration, we don't mean God sort of sending the biblical authors into a trance. Now, others have assumed, and, and I want to be careful here, but others assume that inspired means inspiring. <laughs> that, that the Bible, every time you read it, no matter what passage, it is equally inspiring, right? So sometimes we kind of understand that to be inspired means that the Bible is inspiring. Now, this is certainly true. Uh, at points throughout the biblical narrative, I hope that you will kind of as a reader be truly and authentically inspired by the story that's being told. But I think that Paul is trying to point us to something deeper and more significant here. Uh, and like, I think honesty is important. Like there are some parts of Leviticus that aren't inspiring, right? I mean, there's like, there are some parts like sometimes people start to try to read the Bible. They start at Genesis 1. And, and Genesis, like, is pretty good. Like, it's a pretty fast-flowing narrative. You start with some good poetry, then you, like, run, you get right into the narrative. It's pretty fast-moving. Even you begin with Exodus, and you've got, like, all these exciting stories about all this kind of, like, tension between Egypt and Israel and all this stuff. And you have these, like, key characters, uh, the Pharaoh and Moses, and you have this clash. And then, like, you get to the instructions about the temple, and you're like, oh, Lord, help me. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to page 1,562, right? You know what I mean? Like, so, so sometimes, so inspired, I think, is not just inspiring, right? And, and sometimes, if you're, if you're like me, and you felt like that every time I read the Scripture, I should be inspired because the Bible is so inspiring, uh, and then when you read it and you're not really inspired, you kind of deal with some guilt, like, am I, do, am I doing this wrong? Am I doing this right, you know? Uh, and, and so you kind of understand, like, the, the Paul is doing something different here. And actually, another, sometimes when we say inspired, uh, let's be honest, sometimes inspired is just a shorthand way of saying the Bible says what I think it's going to say. And the Bible is so inspired, because I can, I can go to it to prove my point, um, and so sometimes it's just like this shorthand way of saying, yeah, well, the Bible says exactly what I thought it would say, that it's, it's inspired to the degree that it affirms my already held beliefs, right? Uh, and so for many people, the Bible is inspired simply because parts of it can be used to advance like their predetermined agenda. And so, so what is it meant by inspired? Well, I think some translations, and I love the NRSV, uh, but some translations, and I think this is a better translation, say that all of Scripture is God-breathed. Uh, and, I, and I think that's a better, I think that's a better way of understanding inspiration, it, is that, that God Himself sort of has His hand in all of the Scriptures and all of the narratives as they're being told. And so it maintains sort of the 
the messiness of, of the, the human people who wrote, the authors who wrote them, right? And it kind of contains, like, they, you, you read the Gospels and you're like, well, did this happen and then that? Or did that happen and then that? And you recognize that maybe the Gospel writers weren't so interested in telling a historical story as much as they were a theological story, Right? So, so you kind of end up with that God is kind of overseeing the whole process. So I think the best translation to understand inspiration here is God breathed. Okay? So, so the first misunderstanding is what is meant by inspired. And, and I think God breathed is the best way to kind of tackle that. Now, a second primary misunderstanding of, of what, is, what it means to be inspired is that sometimes, uh, sometimes we think the Bible is often sometimes the Bible is treated as a cookbook for life. You know what I mean? Uh, let me illustrate it this way. Uh, when you need a recipe, you go and find that recipe, right? And, and sometimes, sometimes the recipe is in the right section. So uh, Amy uh, is a great cook. Uh, she just has like warm, healthy, home-cooked meals ready almost every single day at 5.30. She is a gift to, the, to myself and the world, right? And she is so organized with her cookbooks. And so she gets a recipe from somewhere. Maybe she finds it in a magazine. She'll cut it out. And she has like this whole system of, of like organization and all of that. But you know, as you kind of get busy in the kitchen and you're using different recipes, sometimes the recipes don't always land back where they're supposed to. And so when you go back to look for it again, you find that the, you got to find the soup in the dessert section. You know what I mean? And so sometimes we when you need a recipe, sometimes it's in the right section, uh, but sometimes it's not, and you have to kind of hunt beyond the intended category for that recipe. But here's the thing about recipes. Wherever you find it doesn't matter. The recipe still works. You with me? Even if it's totally out of order, the, rest, the integrity of the recipe is not lost because the, yeah, that's right, because the recipe requires no context. Okay? Now, here's the trouble. Some people treat the Bible as though it functions in the same way only for our lives. That the Bible is sort of this cookbook for life. And so, uh, in, in fact, this is what happens. So you kind of like pluck a verse out uh, of its context and then like, like stick it onto our lives. And, and when I was a teenager, these were really big. Uh, they, were, they were Bible verse cookbooks. Now, of course, they weren't marketed as that, right? Of course, they weren't called that. But they were books that uh, had a theme, a subject, or a life situation that you looked up. Uh, and then under that heading were uh, different recipes or verses uh, for that situation, okay? So the same way that you would look up holiday desserts in a cookbook, uh, you could find, uh, you could look up anxiety or uh, temptation and then find God's verse or God's recipe for that. You guys, you guys probably know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, and, and I understand the heart behind this, and it is helpful to a point, but I think, it, I think it kind of contributes to a misunderstanding of what the Scriptures are and how they function, okay? Uh, because the Scriptures, it turns out, are not, uh, are not a cookbook for life. So let me give you one example. This is, this is really easy. Uh, this is not new, uh, but Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you probably haven't memorized. It's like, the, it's like the verse for graduation. For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, right? Okay, so, and then and we tell every graduate that. Uh, and it's that, that's like the recipe for your graduate life. God has a plan for your life. Uh, God, in, in Jeremiah, uh, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking this over the nation of Israel 
uh, as they are in exile. And shortly after that, he promises that they will be in exile for another number of decades, right? So, graduate, God knows the plans he has for you. You are going to be in exile until you're 40, right? <laughs> so, like, in context, it kind of matters. You see what I'm saying? So, so, the Bible, so by inspiration, what is so popular is just kind of this cookbook for life, uh, kind of idea, and certainly we don't mean that, and I want to kind of debunk that. Finally, what some people assume that inspired means is that the Bible is perfect. Here's what I mean. Some, uh, some folks expect the Bible to be perfect in every single way, to reflect a cosmology that aligns with today's understanding of the universe, they expect every detail to be 100% historically accurate. They expect scientific perfection uh, from the Bible. Uh, and this means that when people discover that the Bible has contradictions, reflects an ancient cosmology or an ancient understanding of, the, of how the universe works, uh, it can, that the Bible can be disproved scientifically in any, whole, any number of ways, beginning with the Genesis 1 poem, right? How do you have light before you have a sun? Uh, solve that according to modern scientific understanding, right? So, so if you kind of expect it to be perfect historically and scientifically and cosmologically and kind of all of these ways, then you're going to be uh, frustrated very quickly. Uh, because, and some people have said, oh, because it's not that, then the Bible can't be trusted and we have to throw the whole thing out, right? And we kind of take, we throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? So uh, that's, that's, a, that's a thing. Uh, but, but I think author Greg Boyd is, can be really helpful for us here. He says this in his book, uh, Cross Vision. Uh, after explaining that he holds to uh, an orthodox belief of the infallibility of Scripture, uh, he says this. The all-important question, though, is what did God inspire the Bible to infallibly accomplish? The all-important question is what did God infallibly inspire the Bible to accomplish? If you expect the Bible to conform to contemporary standards of scientific, historical, literary, or logical perfection, I'm afraid you're going to be greatly disappointed. God did not inspire the Bible to meet those standards. For as we've seen, God inspired all Scripture to point us to Jesus, and more specifically to the cross that culminates everything that Jesus was about. So if we faithfully trust that God is as the crucified Christ reveals him to be, then Scripture will unfailingly keep bringing us back to Him. That's right. I was hoping for an amen. I got one. I'm tempted to read the whole thing again to get some more, but, that, but I won't do that, right? Okay, so when the, the question is, what did, what did God inspire the Scripture to infallibly accomplish to point us to Jesus? Okay? And so what we, what we do when we read the scriptures is we enter into a story of how God is moving and intersecting and working within human history to lead us to the point of understanding the full revelation of himself in Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture is doing. And that's what the scripture will do every single time if we read it as such. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't some room and some space to have like an inspirational verse taken out of context. And that's the beauty of the scripture is that the Holy Spirit in those moments can take those, those verses and really 
speak beyond what the original author ever intended, right? That he can speak to us directly right then and right there. But it's also we need to understand that there is this this arc of Scripture that is meant to point us to the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And so sometimes, so, so, another, so author P. Inns says it this way, the Bible does not give us answers, it gives us wisdom. And I used to think that the Bible, someone once told me the Bible has every single answer to every single question. So I was like, God, should I marry this girl? And so I started reading and it turns out that, that I didn't find a verse about my life and should I marry that girl? It just, there just wasn't there. I read the whole thing to find out and it just wasn't there. And I thought, well, whoever told me that is not right. I thought for sure, hidden somewhere in, in uh, Hezekiah, right? Or, or uh, hesitations, first hesitations, there was something about that, right? So, you know, anyway, those preacher jokes aside, uh, it's not kind of this answer book for life, but rather this, this story that we enter into. Are you with me? Okay. So if Paul isn't saying all of those things, then what is Paul actually saying? And um, I think here's what he's saying. He's saying that this rich, diverse body of writing is infused with the spirit of the living God. And it can bring encouragement. It can bring direction. It can help us with wisdom for our lives today because the spirit who caused them to be written is as powerful today as ever. You with me? That this, uh, this idea that the Spirit, that, that the Scriptures are God-breathed. And we think about breath. Breath is connected to life. That these Scriptures are teeming with life because the same Spirit that caused them to be written is still working and alive among these words so that we find relevance, importance, wisdom for our lives today by looking at and understanding the lives of our ancient brothers and sisters. And so he's, he's simply saying that there's life among these ruins, right? He's pointing out the curtains. <laughs> he's saying that becoming familiar with the story that the scriptures tell and the smaller stories in the, in the, that are found within the large art, overarching story can help inform our view of who God is and who we are, right? And guess what? As Christians, as people who confess the name of Jesus Christ, then then it's so important that we read the Scriptures through the lens of Jesus Christ. Do you get this? If If the Scriptures are this story that culminate in the revelation of who God is in Christ, then we need to read it from Christ backwards, which means that there might be some stuff going on in the Old Testament here that d- where God doesn't seem a lot like Jesus, okay? And people are attributing stuff to God that we would think, man, does God do that? And we read it backwards through the lens of Jesus to say, and to at least ask the question, did the people living at that time and in that place fully understand the character of God, or were they inevitably tied to their own context? Author Brian Zahn says it this way, the Bible is not above the story that it tells. 
that the Bible is not above the story that it tells. And so sometimes we can find things that really aren't consistent with the character of Jesus Christ that we see later on. And, and that's not to say, did God change or did, is there an angry one and a nice one? And I just want to kind of be on the, ni- on the good side of the nice one and just kind of let the angry, just make sure the angry God isn't, isn't angry at me. No, it's this, this process of understanding who God is more and more. I've said this before uh, too, but if you put, if you put like Paul, uh, let's say King David, and uh, let's say Moses, if you put them in a room, and, and let's say, look, we're going to have a theological panel uh, with, with those three folks, and you ask them, does God desire sacrifice? They would have a big debate, right? I mean, they would have a heated debate. David would be among those saying, God does not, sacri- does, God does not require sacrifice but a contrite heart right? And Moses would say, of course God requires sacrifice. Well, I mean, what else could you possibly imagine? Of course God desires this and wants this, okay? So you understand that the Bible is a story that kind of has this overarching narrative that it's telling that leads us to the story of Jesus. Does this make sense? Okay, good, good. And here, and the point that Paul is making to 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy, is he's saying this story is teeming with life, It is alive and it is active and it informs our lives because we find that even though we're removed kind of by thousands of years culturally, the human condition is still the same, that we can still find ourselves reflected in these stories and we can still come to understand the character and the person of who God is if we're learning to pay attention and read it well. But if we're just reading at a flat kind of surface level, right? Oh, the Bible says this, that settles it. And I, the, the, what does it say? The Bible says that I believe it and that settles it. That is a terrible way of reading the scripture. <laughs> it's a terrible way of under, like, seeking to read and understand scripture. Okay, now, he also says then that it's helpful for moving us toward righteousness. It's helpful for correction, for reproof. In other words, as we tell and as we study these stories, we will find that even though the people are thousands of years removed from us and cultures so different from our own, the questions, the struggles, the doubts, the victories are still much the same. And we'll discover that the Bible doesn't just give us answers, it provides us with wisdom. It moves us in a direction of the Spirit. It moves us toward the person of God revealed in Christ. But here's the thing. The Bible doesn't just share information about the story. It doesn't just tell the story. Because these words are infused with the Spirit of God, then the Bible becomes actually part of changing our lives. That the Bible itself kind of becomes maybe a a character in the story of our own lives right? That's why when we say the Word of God, I don't mean the Scriptures. I mean Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is the living Word of God, and the Scriptures point to Him, and it's the Spirit of Jesus that is working and moving and active as we read the Scriptures, okay? And so so this Bible itself isn't just, uh, just providing information. It actually becomes part of the process of changing our lives. And so sometimes what we'll find in the scriptures is that the scriptures themselves cheer us on and they encourage us. 
And then at other times, we'll discover that, man, what we find in the Scriptures, if we are ready to receive it, we'll get some correction, right? Which is why we should approach, uh, which is why we should approach the Bible not with this like, level of certitude, but this level of openness. Um, that, that maybe I don't always have it exactly right. Or, or maybe the Spirit of God is, is seeking to move and, and work in me in such a way that I would come to see this maybe differently than I have before. And, and can I be honest with you? That's so hard. That's so hard because there is safety in certitude. For as certain as we feel, we, we tend to feel very, very safe. I know, how, I know how the world works. I know how God works. I, I, I know I have all the answers, right? Um, but I'd be willing to bet that these scriptures that are infused and alive with the Spirit of God are wanting to show us and tell us things um, that, that maybe we previously hadn't thought of or maybe we previously weren't ready for, right? Um, there's been times in my life where I've read the scriptures or received uh, some teaching or anything like that, and I look back on it, and I think I, w- I just wasn't in a place where I was ready to, hear, to actually hear that, okay? Uh, and, and then I hear the same thing, and it's, it's just it's brand new all over again, right? And so that's kind of the beauty of the scriptures is, is that because they're infused with this, this life of the Spirit, then, then there's this movement. That's why we can continually come back and just keep coming back and reading the same stories because there's movement and there's life in those. Uh, these scriptures, Paul says, are God-breathed. And because of that, they're useful for instruction and teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for helping us move along the process toward righteousness. And, and, and so my prayer this morning is... Um, well, hopefully that I haven't raised too many questions, right? Hopefully that I haven't been like, what is he talking about, right? But, but hopefully I've provided a little more clarity. And that uh, my hope and my prayer is that through our times together on Sunday morning, like let's begin there, that every Sunday morning as we open up the scriptures together, uh, my hope is, is that we will learn to see the curtains and we'll declare there are, there's life in those ruins, okay? Um, and, and, and oftentimes, when I think about, like, what is my role as a preacher, um, I, I think about it in those terms. Um, sometimes we'll say, uh, we've got our discovery class, and often in our discovery class, I'll say to the folks who are attending, I'll say, uh, my job as a preacher is not to make the Scripture relevant. It's to demonstrate the ways in which the Scripture is already relevant, right? So I'm not, I'm not making Scripture relevant to our own lives. I'm just simply like revealing or opening up uh, or showing how the Scriptures are already relevant, uh, which is the same way of saying, hey, here we are traveling among these ruins. There's curtains and life in them, okay? That's my hope and my goal, beginning with Sunday mornings, but then to take that and begin to discover that reading and knowing this book Leans, to, uh, leans us to a revelation of God in Christ and that ultimately it is this compelling story of God, of humanity, of struggle, victory, loyalty, betrayal. It's got it all, right? But it's a story that leads us to the revelation of Christ who is the perfect image of God. Amen.
And so even on this day, when we talk about the Bible itself, and we use the Bible to talk about the Bible, (laughs) we recognize that ultimately we are pointed to Christ on the cross. Ultimately, we are pointed to the self-sacrificial love of God as it is revealed in Jesus Christ. Um, And so I hope that we will learn to read the scriptures through that lens. And and I'm hoping to show you that intuitively, right? So when I come to preach, and I I don't want to share too much of the toolbox here, but uh, part of what I want to do uh, when I preach is show you how even this text leads us to or points us back to the person of God as he's revealed in Jesus Christ on the cross. That's, that's kind of my goal. At the end of every sermon is how can I make sure that I'm leading us and pointing us to Christ because that's the crux of the story. That's, that's, the, that's the pinnacle of the story. Okay? Well, I hope this was helpful. I know this was a lot. And then... Um, In staff meeting on Monday, one of our staff members said, stop apologizing for your sermons. <laughs> stop saying, I know that's a lot, or, or this or that. Like, <laughs> so, and maybe it's just one of those things you say when you're just thinking of like filler space, because all preachers have those little kind of ticks, you know, like, oh, I got to think of the next thing to say. Uh, but, but anyway, so, so, I do, so I take back my... I know that was a lot, and I say, listen and learn well, okay? There we go. <laughs> let, me say, let me say a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace in our lives and uh, for revealing yourself to us in the person of, of Jesus. Throughout history, uh, humankind has been fascinated by the person and personality of Christ. And, and God, that is because in Christ we find you. In Christ we find love, forgiveness, grace, the most powerful forces in the world. And so God, as your people today, we hold on to the story that the Bible tells. First in its pinnacle, that Jesus is the Son of God who reveals God to us through self-sacrificial love, who has refounded the world uh, on love based on the forgiveness that he offers on the cross. And now, God, because of that, we are a people who maintain hope that then one day all things will be made new, that there is a new creation that is is coming to birth in the world right now, that, that is happening, it's beginning, it is starting, and sometimes, some days, it is hard to see that evidence. Some days, the evidence of, of darkness is just overwhelming. But God, we maintain, uh, we are prisoners of hope who maintain, God, that there is a new creation on the horizon. So may we, as the people of God, who profess faith in Jesus Christ, may we be a people who hold on to that hope, who try to do our best to embody that hope in the world uh, and, and demonstrate around us what it looks like when God is in charge. Because God, you, Jesus Christ, is not Lord elect. He is Lord over all of creation right here and right now. And we thank you for it. So God, be with us as we come to the table uh, to profess our faith, to receive our life from you, and to look forward to the day when all things will be made new. Uh, Be with us in these moments, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.